corruption, ill, evil doing, depravity, blemish, sin, bad habit, vice. A habitual and usually trivial defect or shortcoming. Things you do in the dark and hope never come to light. The theme for the second edition of Prague 2017 is vice. We all know of the seven deadly sins, but today we'll introduce some of Prague's deadliest vices. I'm Goodness Aussie. And I'm Irina Werjohn. Welcome to the Progcast. You can't talk about the Czechs without mentioning their love for beer. For years, statistics have shown that Czechs drink more beer per capita than any other nation in the world. That's why Goodness and I went to tour Vinohradsky Pivovar, an attempt by a group of friends and beer enthusiasts to revive a century-old tradition of brewing beer in Prague's leafy Vinohrady district, and spoke with Jan Korzelt about drinking culture in the Czech Republic. This is the part where we are brewing. Then we cool the, the, the liquid very quickly in an hour from 90 to, you know, whatever, 10 degrees. And we let it, we, we, we let it sit in the fermentation cellar. The, the funny thing about the fermentation cellar is now you can compare our fermentation cellar to the fermentation cellar that used to be here before, which is the whole building. Wow. <laughs> right? So, and we add yeast in this room, and this is where, where we create alcohol, actually. This is where the, where the beer uh, is created. And it takes about a seven to nine days here to ferment. And then... What? <laughs> we pump it to the to the lager lager cellar lagering cellar, which is here, and in a temperature of uh, zero to three degrees, the beer cultivates. We need another for a lag- lager is sensitive in it's called lager. It's sensitive in terms of lagering. You need quite some time to make the hops and the t- all the taste cultivate. So our like flagship beer, 11, uh, 11 degree lager, needs 21 days, 24 days at least. So we need to, really, we need time for, for, for the lager. craft beers and microbreweries are also becoming more and more popular. What do you think the differences in appeal between microbrewery versus like the regular um, commercialized beer? Well, uh, certainly there, there, there is a huge difference. What we are trying to make is, is uh, how to explain it, we are, we are you know, trying to get back to the tradition of craft beer, uh, which is handmade. We are trying to use the best uh, raw materials. We are uh, trying to use the best uh, processes and really like find or restore the tradition of beer in this country. So, when do most Czechs start drinking? I don't think it's the age 
what people coming from abroad should understand is that beer is is part of you know of Czech's body in more or less I, I don't want to you know I don't want to exaggerate it but I'm joking a, li- a little bit but our beer is very light compared to uh, for example Western beers it's uh, less alcohol in general you don't get drunk or destroyed after the second pint right we usually drink quite a lot for a foreigner so the first taste of beer happens at a young age yeah uh, yes and for me it definitely was illegal age at the, at the time but again it was the you know that it was the 90s it was much easier for us uh, for example uh, to go out drinking at the age of 16 now it would be much more complicated because you know this country is getting more and more civilized and it's it's the diversity of beer it's the quality of beer and also it's what, what we are asking about so there are different types of cultures when it comes to alcohol right for example in the states people drink alcohol after work to like blow off steam and in France and Italy like you say they drink wine with every meal so what would you say like the role of alcohol is for Czech people this nation is somehow defined by by beer because it makes you calm it makes you easy you know it doesn't push you to fight or something you know we are this you know small country very nice to live Uh, in the middle of Europe where people just drink beer and they are fine you know so would you say alcoholism is big in the Czech Republic like is there ever like too much beer you know, in Russia people die on streets because they're so drunk they can't uh, they can't make it home right it's not the case here but it's probably what one of our aims is not to give the people volume but quality and to teach them they, they would prefer three good beers and enjoy the taste rather than drinking 10 bad beers for cheaper price just just to get drunk a quality interview at a quality brewery like Jan says everything is good in moderation so next time you're out have three not five or ten a drink in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Many Czechs can't imagine going to the pub without a cigarette. However, this reality may soon be a distant memory thanks to the new Czech smoking ban, restricting smokers from lighting up indoors, finally bringing the Czech Republic in line with the rest of Europe and the United States. Okay, so I'm selfish. So from my opinion, it's that it's good for me because I will smoke less. But every entrepreneur should has this right to choose if they have non-smoking pub or smoking pub. So the law is stupid. Actually, uh, I think that this kind of stuff is always a process. Like uh, people's attitudes towards smoking will not change instantly. But uh, let's say back in Hungary, where I'm from, you can uh, you can already see just a few years after uh, our ban that less and less people smoke and uh, people don't uh, really miss uh, smoking uh, indoors a lot. It will be actually not allowed to smoke in like central Prague. Most 
of underground bars, I'm sure will be still up and smoking. And I'm sure it will be like first floor is not allowed to smoke and the second floor will be allowed. Even breaking when the law. law says yeah, 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 breaking the law. Czechs do have a great tradition of defying authority, so we'll see how this all works out. Like Seth's strange obsession in Superbad, or Selena's bizarre love of pickles. At the end of the day, we've all got our guilty pleasures. For some, it's a weekend binge-watching Netflix. For others, it's constantly eating McDonald's. Guilty pleasures can be harmless, or they can be bad habits. For this edition, we decided to hit the town and find out some of the ones that are roaming around Prague's lovely streets. So we're producing a podcast, and we're asking people what their guilty pleasures are. Do you, guilty pleasure. Yeah. Really? Do you have any, like, chocolate, maybe shopping, watching oh. reality TV or anything? You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lakers. So I'm addicted to their product. So yeah, everything I have is theirs. You know, my socks, my, my shorts, my everything is Lakers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and so I love Kobe Bryant, huh? You have a collection? Yes. You see one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right I also have bags and socks and everything in the office and stuff. Yeah. Oh. I always, always carry it with me. Do you have any guilty pleasures? Oh, I don't think so. No? <laughs> no chocolate, TV shows, nothing like that. Online shopping. Maybe chocolate. Really? Yes, yes. How long? How long do you like how long have you been loving chocolate for? Ew, all my life. <laughs> I guess. Do you eat chocolate every day? No. Okay. I, ha- I have di- diabetes. Oh. So so I can't do that. But but uh, if it's But if you could you would. <laughs> oh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> um not sure actually. Reality TV shows, uh, bad movies, chocolate. Probably going to Subway. Really? Yeah. Why? Why would you say it's a guilty pleasure? Because I go to that too often. <laughs> Maybe once a week, so uh, that's probably, probably not great. <laughs> what do you get at Subway? Anything. 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 Just Any the chance to go to Subway. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. No problem. Would you say you have any guilty pleasures? Of course. Everybody has. <laughs> uh... I know food, chocolate, or some cakes. What kind of food? Chocolate, Just dark chocolate, chocolate. Dark and chocolate. Uh, ice cream. I really love ice cream, oh, even so even during the winter. <laughs> hey. Any sorry? Habits. Guilty pleasures or bad habits? Uh, eating my nails. Fighting your nails. <laughs> like all day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it's not so strange. No, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not good, but it's not as strange. <laughs> We all have our guilty pleasures, but some are deadlier than others. After all, cheesecake isn't heroin. jsem byl živý dítě, takový hodně asi na dnešní poměry řečeno hyperaktivní. That's a short excerpt from Pico, a drama documentary about the pervitin, or crystal meth scene here in the Czech Republic. Pervitin, nicknamed Pico, is one of the most prevalent and most dangerous drugs here, and is blamed for a host of social problems that have arisen since 1989. 
po různých partách a tak dále. The film is loosely based on the life of the man responsible for popularizing the drug in 1970s Czechoslovakia, pervitin user and producer Pavel Greger. Nicknamed the father of Pico, his career with the drug ended when he almost blew himself up cooking meth in his kitchen. He's now Dr. Pavel Greger, a psychotherapist who helps other addicts at Prague's Bonice Psychiatric Hospital. We went along to meet him. I trained as a car mechanic. I went to mechanic college back in the 1960s. But then I spent a long part of my life on drugs from 1968 right up until 1998. Did he see Pico? And uh, how did he feel he was portrayed in it? Tento film měl být původně dokumentární s hranými prvky. Well, the film was originally envisaged as a documentary film with some dramatic elements in it, but it ended up as a feature film with some documentary elements in it. And it's actually not a film about drugs, it's a film about addiction, and it's very much the perspective of the young filmmaker and screenwriter Tomasz Zehojek, who's never taken drugs. So it's his perspective. It does include good descriptions of drug-induced psychosis, It shows the development of how people get into drugs. It shows how experimentation can become a problem and then how a problem can become a big problem that we call addiction. But it also shows that if you want to, you can get off drugs. What kind of addiction problem do most people come to you with? Lots of people come here to Bohnitsa with alcohol addiction, as well as drugs, mostly pervitin, i.e. methamphetamine, what you call crystal meth in the States, but also marijuana as well. And also combined addictions of, say, alcohol and drugs. Or people come with addiction to prescription medicines, such as the benzodiazepines like Valium, or hypnotic drugs, sleeping pills. People also come with addictions to gambling and more recently to computer games and also the internet. If anyone listening has ever gone through uh, even AA or something, if you go through AA, they tell you uh, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Maybe you haven't had a drink in a while. And we're wondering how it's treated conceptually here. Since 2005, when addictology, the study of addictive behavior, was officially recognized as a specific field of medicine here, we've dealt with it as something that can be cured. Well, okay, not cured. We believe that an addict can never be cured of his addiction, but he or she can be helped to live a healthy life again. Modern addictology also poses the question, what does being cured mean? If someone relapses every six months, then that's bad, isn't it? And I've learned that alcohol or drug addiction is a slowly progressing disease that ends in death. But if someone meets certain conditions and lives a certain quality of life, then they don't even need to feel that they're addicted. Speaking personally, I don't feel like an addict, even though I spent 32 years taking drugs. For the last 19 years, I haven't smoked, drunk alcohol or taken drugs. And my life today is certainly better than back then. 
It's good to know that not all vices are final, and that with time and dedication, we can overcome even the worst of them, just like Dr. Gregor. I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to gamble it. Classic lines like these have always characterized risk and gambling throughout popular culture. But what happens when gambling goes too far and the risks come to real life? We reached out to Petr Kudelek, a local politician representing Prague 4, where herna bars, popular gambling spots, have spread like wildfire, as they have in much of Prague. Petr entered politics to take an active stance against the menace of gambling. Let's listen to his interview. I have been since October 2014. I've been an assembly member here in the Prague 4 district. Prague 4, as you may know, is the, uh, the largest district or borough of Prague. It's got about 130,000 people, so over 10% of, of the city. And, uh, yeah, I sort of uh, became involved in, in local politics mostly on the, on the issue of, of, of gambling, among other things. Can you tell us what brought your attention um, to gambling and why you wanted to take political action against it? What motivated you? Well, I think it was uh, becoming obvious that Prague Port, just like you know many other, uh, other parts of Prague, has a problem with gambling. Uh, gambling, obviously, is a... Uh, and the whole gambling culture that, that seems so present in, in Prague, with so many casinos and hernas around, is uh, something that obviously has huge implications, you know, both socially, with you know so many families actually being affected by their loved ones falling into into gambling addiction obviously it is a it is a, a local local safety issue as well you know crime is actually attached to the gambling culture obviously and it is also sort of just you know public space issue just walking through the streets of Nusla here and elsewhere we can see that you know a place that actually is a gambling site could easily be a cafe or a store or a restaurant and actually it would contribute to the the feeling of the place uh, much differently. For us and our listeners, can you do the favor of explaining? I think we know what casinos are. Maybe we don't, but specifically, what is a herna? So, under, I mean, under Czech law, there's actually two different kinds of, of gambling establishments. One of them is a casino, and the other would be a, a herna in Czech, or a, a gambling parlor, I guess you would say in English. The first one would be uh, sort of a higher threshold place where, with a formal reception where you have to present your ID. And, uh, and a herna would be a simple place where you... You know, we can just walk in. Anybody from a street can, can easily walk in and start playing slot machines and often get free drinks with their, with their game. In reality, many casinos actually, you know, when, we, when you say the word casino, we imagine, you know, James Bond and tuxedos and, and, and cocktails and, and long gowns and, uh, and uh, you know, high society. In reality, you know, many casinos really are just somewhat fancier gambling parlors with, with um, uh, you know, no actual live game, as it's called, going on. Uh, you know, no roulette, no blackjack. You don't actually have uh, much staff present there. It's just, you know, rows and rows of slot, slot machines as well. And so from, from my point of view, in actuality, there's actually very little difference between, between hernas and casinos. And I think the city doesn't really benefit from either of it. How can you change what someone, what a Czech person should or should not do? My short answer would be that, you know, gambling is something that most people in the society do not want to see, at least not, not as prevalent as, as, as it is. And, you know, this is one of the areas that, uh, you know, does invite regulation because, I mean, we're talking about addiction here. So even from a sort of 
liberal or libertarian uh, perspective that sort of would go against heavy regulation, which is the, typically the argument that, that you do hear from the side of the, of the gambling industry. You know, the argument of personal liberty is not really valid because you're speaking, uh, you're speaking of addiction, which is, to me, that is the, the opposite of liberty. Petter makes a point. Our vices do trap us, robbing us of the liberty life gives. But at the end of the day, like Moliere says, I prefer a pleasant vice than an annoying virtue. That's a wrap for this edition. Now you know what makes us weak. Even though the semester is wrapping up, this isn't the last you'll hear from us. Make sure to look out for our next episode devoted to music, a key part of life here in the Czech Republic. Look for us online by searching podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You've been listening to Anne-Marie Policastro, Maddie Palmieri, Alex Shvita, Christine Sim, Nick Garcia, and Patrick Virgi. I'm Irina Werjohn. And I'm Goodness Aussie. Podcast is made possible thanks to our editor, Rob Cameron, with music written especially for the podcast by Dalton Core. Stay tuned for our next edition. Music